The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Has Ford's new boss done enough to get shareholders back on the road? How will China's push for electric vehicles shake up the industry and the country? And what are the roadblocks to building the car of the future? These are the issues we'll be tackling in this week's edition of The Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking Views columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm Jennifer Saba, and my co-host, as always, is Anthony Curry. Hello, Anthony. G'day. So Jim Hackett jumped into the driver's seat at Ford Motor back in May after the board sacked incumbent Mark Fields. This week, he laid out his vision for America's second largest automaker. Anthony, this comes as the industry prepares for a great deal of upheaval in the future, um, as autonomous vehicles are coming on the horizon. Rival General Motors stock has been racing ahead. Take us through, where is Ford right now and what are Hackett's big issues that he's facing right now? Okay, let's put where Ford is in a a broader context, right? So, How do they stack up? Let's go way back to the financial crisis. Ford was the only one of the big three automakers in America that didn't have to go through bankruptcy and also had a a, a very good CEO, Alan Mulally, who was brought in in 2006 outside the industry, just as Jim Hackett has been brought in from outside the industry. He's not a car person. This meant that Ford's stock, as a result, raced ahead of the others Mm -hmm. um, when markets came back. Around 10 million cars being sold in America a year at the depths of the crisis, if not fewer than that, all the way up to 17, 17 and a half million last year. So Ford was doing really, really well. It got its small cars back on the road properly, and it invested uh, decently in, in trucks as well. Okay, but now then what's happened? Well, then it started slipping. Mullally left. Mark Fields, a, a long-term time veteran, took over. And they started slipping in a, in, a, in a couple of ways. First, what wasn't their fault, small cars stopped being the thing that people were buying. The oil price went down. Uh, so people in America suddenly started switching to SUVs and trucks. So I mean, as a result, you saw a stock price come down about 37% over the three years that uh, Fields was in charge. Now, I don't think a, a great deal of that was his fault. Look, he, he didn't have necessarily the best strategy on what to do about small cars. He didn't have necessarily the best strategy on what to do about the growing fear about autonomy and connected cars and electric batteries. But he'd invested in all of it. I mean, they put $4.5 billion into electric cars a year and a half ago, two years ago. Um, but people kind of forgot that because no one really knew exactly where the pieces were coming together. And it's not as if we know that anywhere else either. But um, I think the fact that um, Ford also started missing earnings estimates and its margins started falling just as General Motors was getting better made Ford's decline look worse. In many respects, all Ford was doing with its stock going down was um, rebalancing with where it probably would have been anyway. Okay, so here we are now with with Hackett. He came on board in May, as I said earlier. what tell me a little bit about him and what are his like what does he set out to do i mean you yesterday they had a big was it investor days what what was it yesterday yeah well basically it was a, a big strategy reveals but what hack is trying trying to do is catch up with some of the other automakers in having a more i mean i think a definitive plan on autonomy and connected cars and electric batteries is a little bit unfair. No one knows where this is going. I was going to say, I mean, I, I would certainly, I wouldn't think GM or, or Chrysler no. ha- has the, the lowdown no. on this. Uh, actually, Chrysler is way behind. They, they have, just don't have the capital to invest. We're looking more at you know, the BMWs and Daimlers of this world, and maybe even Toyota, um, that have done a much better job of elucidating where they're going in certain aspects of this market. We were in, in Detroit a couple of weeks ago, Rob Cox and I, uh, chatting to people, and one of the people, one of the big automakers said, look, when we look at the various models of where autonomy and connected cars could take us, basically you look at the results uh, of Monte Carlo simulations and you th- they just look psychotic. 
i.e. no one knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of things, though, that, that we can focus on. So we know that um, GM, for example, uh, is very close to getting uh, some um, robo-taxis, well, let's say automated small cars, on the road in the next couple of years. It's the only automaker out there that is actually testing these uh, self-driving cars within an urban environment. Most of them are doing it out on the roads. They're doing it in San Francisco. Huh. That's a pretty tough market yes. as a proving ground. If they came up with a small car that they could sell uh, or could use for a fleet of robo-taxis, assuming that self-driving taxis becomes a thing, then there's a huge opportunity. If you, were managing, if you manage to sell or have a fleet of robo-taxis, right, and you, you could make more than the average 35000 that a car maker makes on a car by multiples, like 10, 15 times that amount over a period of years if you were to, say, run these as taxis. And that's why investors are getting excited. They see GM further ahead than Ford. Mm -hmm. The biggest part of the reveal to me was the short-term stuff, which he had to address. You look at the earnings being not as good, and, and even he was saying, look, we haven't grown revenue as much as we thought we would over the past eight years. Um, our margins have come down. So <laughs> what's he doing? Cost cuts. So he wants to take out $14 billion of costs. Whoa. Over the next and what is years. that? To put that into perspective, well, how that's much probably, of that that's is That's probably there? about 10% of overall costs. Okay. But just think, if, if all of that were to go to the bottom line after you taxed it, we're looking at about $9, $10 billion, which is more than what the company earned last year in net income. Okay. So, right, if you, All right. so that mean that should be having the, putting the stop racing ahead, but the morning afterwards it was up, you know, less than a percentage. So why, why is it? Well, look, I, I think. It doesn't. First, you've got to see those results come through. It's not as if you can suddenly go in and cut all these costs. I mean, it says a lot about both Fields and Mullally that they couldn't actually change Ford as much, if indeed those costs are there to be cut. But also, you know, Hackett's got to go to all the suppliers and say, you've got to find ways to cut costs as much as we do. I mean, that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, suppliers have got their own issues. They've got their own challenges to deal with and their own cost structures and their own uh, refitting for the new environment to think about. So, Great. It's a great big number. But you've got to think about where it's going where it's going to come from. Second, he wants to shift $7 billion of capital away from small cars to SUVs and trucks. That's great, right? Uh, assuming that we don't suddenly have a big, great big spike in gas prices and people stop buying SUVs again. But for the shortish term, assuming that those products come out quickly, and most cycles are three or four years. So again, that's not quick either. Um, then there'll be an increase in margins because they'll be selling more SUVs versus cars. And, they'll be and those are higher cars margin cars. Those, those are higher margin. Also, okay. so if you take that capital away from cars, then your break even for cars, uh, for smaller cars, ought to go up as well. But all of this sounds great, but you've got to see it happen. And it's got to be done properly. And it's got to be, you know, we're talking about people who've been running this industry for this company for a long time just below that layer. So all the people below him have been at Ford for years. They've got to suddenly adapt to a third CEO in 12 years who's got yet another plan for cutting more costs and changing the company. In addition, his whole idea for autonomy and electric vehicles sounds great. You know, they'll put even they'll take money out of, I think, uh, of, what is it, a quarter or, or a fifth of what they're spending currently on internal combustion engines, which is about $1.7 billion a year, and put that towards electrification on top of the $4.5 billion already committed. Um, and on autonomy, yeah, he wants to do more. He wants to bring up connected cars by having more modems in the cars. By 2019, he wants every single car built and sold in the U.S. to have modems. GM's had that since 2015. So that's the problem. It's still a catch-up strategy. And I think as, as much as I think of a lot of what he's put on the table is what needed to be done, you still got to see it happen. Okay, Anthony, let's let's leave it here for a minute and let's turn to our colleagues in Hong Kong, Pete Sweeney and Katrina Hamlin. They've been following what's been going on in China 
And the government there, in their efforts to basically say, okay, we want electric vehicles going forward. So this is a big radical issue, and they're going to take us through it. Hello, everyone. I'm Pete Sweeney, Asia editor of Reuters Breaking Views here in Hong Kong. I'm here with Katrina Hamlin, who has been writing extensively about environmental technology in Asia and a lot about uh, the developments in China. Katrina, uh, thanks for coming on. Obviously, there's been a massive amount of news here about what China is doing in terms of trying to clean up its smog and reduce its reliance on imported oil. The big focus appears to be on electric vehicles, and there's been a big policy push on this front. Can you just walk us through briefly what the big moves have been that, that Beijing is pushing? Yeah, sure. Well, the biggest and most exciting headline uh, was the news that China is actually hoping to ban old-fashioned gas guzzlers. Now, there was no deadline for that, but uh, one industry leader suggested that move could come as early as 2030. Do you find that realistic? I think it will be very, very difficult because uh, we don't really have the battery capacity for that. And there's a lot of internal combustion engines already in the fleet. But that is definitely the direction of travel. And I think we could see major changes in the market long ahead of the complete ban. For example, by 2019, China wants 10% of auto sales in the market to be electric vehicle sales. And as soon as 2025, uh, regulators are hoping that they can see as much as 20% of the fleet become green vehicles. Okay, so how is this going to play out for the the automakers? And I understand that they've kind of liberalized the regulations, so companies that have never made automobiles before are now going to be allowed to enter the market and start making EVs. How does the competitive landscape shape up for these guys? Uh, To be exact, the rules say that if you're a passenger vehicle maker and you're making more than 30,000 units a year, then the rules are going to apply to you. And there are lots of international automakers already in the market who aren't making electric vehicles right now, so they're going to have to kind of rush to catch up. And then on the other hand, there are a lot of domestic companies that are making only electric vehicles, and they stand to do quite well out of this policy. So you've written extensively about how this might impact the foreign auto brands here, most of whom are stuck in joint ventures, um, whether willingly or not. Um, So that's Ford, that's Volkswagen, uh, GM. You know, what's the risk for them going into this? Well, there's two risks. Uh, One risk is that they try to make their own electric vehicles and then find that nobody wants to buy them because actually um, Chinese consumers really prefer big, hefty SUVs. On the other hand, if the foreign automakers decide they don't want to take that risk and instead they think, well, we'll just buy credits to make up for the electric vehicles that we're not making, that's quite an expensive policy. And also the money uh, that they spend on those credits will line the pockets of their rivals, including all these new domestic players. Well, it sounds like a lot of work. Uh, Ford seems to have an interesting idea here. They're going into commercial vehicles. Obviously, there's a lot less of these commercial vehicles in the market. They presumably cost more, and it seems like, uh, you know, what was your take on, on what the environmental benefit might be if Ford, for example, just starts making delivery vans and small trucks and such? These trucks are very polluting, and they tend to be concentrated in the areas where the pollution problem is its most acute. So from an environmental point of view, they will help to clean up the areas that need it most. From Ford's point of view, there's kind of a little bit of a gamble because it's not completely clear whether the regulations with regards to electric vehicles are going to extend to commercial vehicles as well. Now, in the long term, say they do get to the 2030 target of eliminating these guys, what happens to the Chinese oil majors out of this? How does this play out for them? 
Well, if you are running the petrol stations that were serving all those gas guzzlers, then I think it's pretty bad news. Even if we don't get to a ban, supposing we just made the 2025 target and 20% of the auto fleet went green, that's something like 7 million vehicles that would be using electricity rather than petrol or as well as petrol. That's roughly enough cars to keep 3,500 petrol stations busy. So it's kind of a real lost opportunity cost or, or lost growth market for the oil majors who were uh, in the downstream refining or retail business. And in terms of like raw imports, a lot of this this oil is imported into China and then reprocessed. Do you see like a real dip in, in Chinese demand on global oil and to oil prices perchance? If you're just talking about the impact of the EV rules, I think it will be quite a while before this takes a really big chunk out of China's overall crude demand. But it's important to remember that it's one of a number of policies aimed at cutting China's dependence on overseas oil. And if all those policies came together perfectly in in just the way that Beijing dreams, then there'd be a very big impact on overall oil demand. I saw one model from um, S&P that suggested that if China trundled along developing the same way as other OECD nations, then um, oil demand would reach something like 40 million barrels a day within a few decades. But if Beijing hit all these targets, then it it would be only about half that level. So what are the oil majors, what are they doing to prepare, if anything? Do they, do they look nervous? Well, at the moment, they're not really confronting the issue, at least not openly, but there are signs that they are beginning to think about this problem, as they have to, because um, oil takes a long time to, to bring from you know the exploration stage to the refining stage. Um, so a lot of them are expanding their gas business, or looking at other forms of energy, for example, geothermal energy. Some of them are thinking about cost-cutting. In fact, they've already made quite good progress with cost-cutting because oil prices have been pretty low the last few years. And then there's there's more sort of radical moves. Um, Some of them are, are thinking, you know, if we can't beat these new green vehicles, maybe we should join them. So Sinopec, for example, has been tentatively experimenting with uh, setting up charging stations in collaboration with the state grid. And they're the most single most exposed to this, right? I mean, Sinopec is more exposed to retail. Yeah, that's right. If, if Beijing's policies really come to fruition, that's very bad news for Sinopec because they own something like a third of China's 100,000 petrol stations. And in addition to selling petrol there, they also operate a network of shops at those sites. And that represents a really interesting growth market for them because sales there are growing really quickly. Mm-hmm. So if all of that collapses, it's really, really sad for Sinopec. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye. Uh, Thanks for joining us. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Okay, Anthony, let's stand back and and look at this globally. So we have this issue going on in China. We have this in the United States. There's race basically to get rid of stuff that runs on gas. Um, And, you know, this big push for uh, electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. It seems to be coming. We don't know when. Give me the lay of the land. Tell me everything. Tell me everything. <laughs> give me give me the map. Well, look, I, I think one of the one of the biggest things that strikes me from what we've heard this week is that electric vehicles are suddenly the big thing. Um, now we've been talking about this forever. In fact, if you go back to the early 1900s, in fact, one of the first I mean, there was a, there was a time when it looked like electric vehicles would be the predominant way of moving uh, cars around, and then the gasoline engine turned out to be uh, quicker and cheaper. Well, l- let me let me stop you there. Is it is it cheaper to do el- electric vehicles? Like, why all of a sudden no, have these not. car makers gotten the religion? Um, there are a couple of reasons. I mean, firstly. Um, 
various countries have uh, emission standards. So in America, they're called the CAFE standards. Um, China has its own big issues. I mean, the smog in the big cities right. is huge. Right? Yeah. They, 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 uh, you know, they have various environmental issues. Air pollution, water pollution, everything. And it's so interesting a, they're kind of addressing this head on. They, 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 Much I mean, more yes, so, I think, than this country. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, in the US, um, you've got these cafe standards, and the car makers know they need to uh, adapt them somehow, and their fleets may well not make it alone. Remember what we were saying earlier on um, the move towards SUVs uh, by Ford simply follows what GM and especially Chrysler have been doing over the past few years. And these are gas guzzlers. Even if you, with the F 150, make the frame out of aluminium rather than steel, which brings down some fuel costs because it's lighter. They're still spend. They're still chugging out a lot more uh, than than your Ford Fiesta will mm-hmm. in terms of emissions. Um, so there's that. You know, California will probably lead the way on that uh, in this country. China may well end up leading the way globally, and car makers will basically have to adapt to. Uh, whichever standard is the most rigorous. They're not going to have um, l- bigger gas guzzlers here versus China for each vehicle and each make they, uh, they come up with just because they think it's easier. It'll be actually be much cheaper to produce the same model everywhere. Okay. right? Um, also, you've got you know, everyone's committed to, uh, well, apart from maybe the US government, is committed to uh, the Paris Accords to uh, address climate change, which means that you do have to cut emissions somehow. Uh, and you know, transportation is one of the biggest. Right. It's basically the world. one of the biggest emitters, if not the biggest. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So everyone's getting it. You also look, you've got the likes of Tesla coming out with um, with more vehicles. They're producing, what, 100,000 or so a year now on average. They want to get up to half a million by next year. But you know, people are seeing that these are being taken up. You're getting more infrastructure. Infrastructure, infrastructure coming. Um, the U.S., uh, no, the U.K. and French governments have talked about uh, banning gasoline cars by 2040. Right. The problem is that um, battery-run uh, cars run to f- run about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars more than the comparable gasoline-powered vehicle, and that is a great deal of money to get people to spend. Which is why a lot of car companies uh, have been selling cars, uh, electric cars with their own brand, whereas Ford would often say, here's an electric version of this car. The problem, though, uh, is that you've now got all these car makers, so Volvo's going, um, wants electric uh, components in all of its cars by 2019. Mm-hmm. Volkswagen's come up with a, a commitment to, what, for, I think, 80 different um, electric vehicles by 2022, 23. Mm-hmm. Now, GM and Ford have come up with commitments this week. GM said 20 electric vehicles uh, by 2020. Now, all of these cars... Well, not all of them are going to be pure electric. They'll be hybrid. Uh, they'll be plug-in electric. Um, and one of the new things that's come out is the 48-volt va- battery. Let's not get too complex about this. Basically, that's a lot cheaper. It's like 1000 to $1,500 more. And that will, although you'll still rely on gasoline, it will greatly cut uh, the consumption because the battery itself will do a lot more work than the 12-volt battery we currently use in our cars and have done for, for, for many decades. Um, but what this means is that you've got to find a way to make sure that the supplies are there. Uh, And there are various issues to this. And Katrina wrote about this a couple of months ago. Um, Lithium supplies. uh, And the the cost of lithium has gone way up because China was talking about um, banning gasoline cars. Um, Another big issue is cobalt. Uh, And we've written about that here as well. Cobalt, uh, one of the biggest problems there is that more than half the supplies at the moment and half the reserves are in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and that has several issues. Right. Well, we it's 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 a it's a war torn country. Yeah, it's right what, now. Well, it's that the war the civil war is officially over. But last year, I think it was last year, 
another dispute broke out and there were more than one million citizens who were displaced as well. That was more than Syria. And they have a massive drought going on. They have poor water supplies anyway, all of which is needed for uh, for mining. And in addition, they've got massive child labor issues and no one wants to be associated with that. So if you think, okay, if I need cobalt for my electric batteries, I've got one huge source of it. I mean, you can get it from other countries, Australia, China, elsewhere. They have far fewer resources and far, far, uh, fewer, far less amount coming out of those countries at the moment. So, which is why I think was it last week or the week before Volkswagen came out and uh, well, they didn't come out. It, we were brought, Reuters news reported that, Roy, that Volkswagen is apparently looking to lock in cobalt supplies all the way out to 2029 because it's worried about a sudden rush, and that's one of the biggest issues that electric batteries will face. I think so. A host of issues, basically, before we see the roads yeah, basically that's, that's humming just with electric. And and just one one quick thing that I want to ask you before we go is what just thinking about the um, gas companies, I, they can't be happy about this. They must see this trend coming. Where is there any pushback from them, or do they do they have any leverage in any of this? Or? Well, some some of them are going. If you look at some of the big the big oil companies or, or the big. Um, what do we call them, the natural resources companies or fossil fuel companies, like Total and others are trying to ramp up what uh, what they're investing in renewable energy sources. Um, now, they're also, I mean, you look at the likes of Exxon in this country uh, are much more sanguine about it, saying that there's no way these things are going to get, get the, the electric cars going to replace gasoline cars overnight. And that's absolutely true. If you look at most estimates uh, before the recent spate of announcements, you're looking at, you know, not even 10% of cars by 2035. Well, um, so well, it would be, yeah. would be electric. That's still a lot. I mean, it's 140 million cars. That still, I think, uh, will uh, create some problems in supplies. But from a gasoline company's perspective or, or, or an Exxon's perspective, they have a long lead time. And that's probably the same for things like autonomous cars as well, which all brings us back to the, you know, why is everyone so worried about Ford and GM's share price? Why is it so low? Why are they both so low? In fact, why are all car companies trading below 10 times earnings, which implies absolutely no growth, um, when you don't see disruption happening instantly? And that is the big question that investors are facing. And I think looking at GM and Ford over the past uh, few months, uh, the answer is that the investors, I think, are just looking for a degree of clarity. They, they want to see companies at least giving a good impression that they know where the markets are going, even though, as everyone knows, it's really uh, just as, as psychotic as these guys in Detroit told us. Yep. All right. Well, uh, thank you for that, Anthony. Uh, I know you'll be following it closely. That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank Pete Sweeney and Katrina Hamlin for giving us their perspective on China's vehicle market. Kudos also to our producers, Freddie Joyner, Ryan Warner, and Andrew D'Antonio. And our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at BreakingViews.com. Subscribe to the Views Room on iTunes. And please do share your opinions about our show. Join us again next week for another edition.